Ladies and gentlemen, 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 let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Absolutely. So rental arbitrage is, is, is what's also known as control without ownership. Some people also know it as master leasing. And what I like about it is that it's an opportunity for you to gain cash flow from these properties that you don't own. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast. Let's go! Let's go. At, at, at Todd Capital, we believe business and investing are team sports. You know how we do. You know how we do. And this podcast is for those who want to turn their capital into generational legacy. Yep. Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Erica Williams from the Classy Climb blog. I'm a six-figure YouTube earner and the author of the book, Smartphone Millionaire, How to Lend to People, Real Estate, and Businesses from the Palm of Your Hand. And if you're interested in the three things that changed my life over the past four years to become a six-figure YouTube earner and investor in multiple properties in multiple states, I would love for you to join me over at the Classy Climb YouTube channel. This episode of the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast is sponsored by Hood Estates. Hood Estates is offering a Hood Estates Elite Real Estate Investing Program, as well as a Hood Estates Trekking Program. All the details can be found in the show notes. You can also find them on Instagram at Hood Estates. And here are your hosts, Miss Flipping and Heels, Roshana Scott, and Mr. Todd Millionaire himself, Charles Oglesby. This is the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast, episode 152. My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Todd Millionaire, founder and director of the Todd Capital Investment Club, also the Todd Capital Options Community that has over 3,000 members. So doing some really cool stuff here with my co-host, Rashana Scott. Now, Flipping Hills, how are you doing, Miss Rashana? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Um, but to all the guests, to all the listeners, thank you for tuning in. The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories of successful African-American business owners and investors um, so that people can hear the stories of successful examples. They exist despite what they want you to believe. We want people to learn that business and investing are the true keys to financial success and generational wealth. With us today, we have TJ TJ Tijani from Houston, Texas. He is a Airbnb super host, um, real estate investor, and he's going to provide some great insight today. So welcome to the show, man. Man, thank you so much for having me. This is a true blessing. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for allowing me to, uh, to to come on here and, and speak to you, to your to audience. It's a true pleasure. Yeah, we're going to jump right in. Um, yeah. We usually like to start off with just asking, um, so tell us about, you know, growing up, um, mm-hmm. your background, where you're from, kind of what that looked like. And then um, also, is there any, oh, I just realized you're a swagger. That's nice. Rentalpreneur. Yeah. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah, appreciate um, it, appreciate but it. do you come from um, like a family of entrepreneurs and, mm-hmm. you know, what, what all that looks like? Oh, absolutely. So actually, I don't. I, do, I really don't come from family entrepreneurs. You know, I'm originally from Nigeria, originally born in Nigeria. I came here to, to, to Houston when I was eight years old. So um, so I grew up here in Houston, uh, went to University of Houston, graduated from University of Houston, ended up, I'm the first in my family to go to college. Um, I watched my my mother, who's amazing, uh, work really hard to raise myself and my four other siblings. Um, so I went to University of Houston. I ended up uh, having a great um, opportunity, and I worked really hard to put myself through school so that way I could graduate with no student loans. And I graduated with a mechanical engineering degree, so my background's in engineering. And I, when I graduated, I worked in oil and gas for some time. Did that uh, from 2012 until 2017. Uh, being in the oil and gas market, it's what a lot of engineers do here in Houston. Uh, I had a great, great job. I didn't hate it. Uh, I traveled quite a bit. The job forced me to be working offshore as a subsea installations engineer about 65% of the year. So I was hardly 
hardly home. I was always out in the water somewhere working. And so, um, but while I was doing that, I bought my first piece of real estate in 2015. So that's how I got into my, in, into in the, in the real estate space. I started off doing buying and holding, did that for some time. And then what happened as far as like the oil and gas market is kind of finicky in a way. Um, and when the, when the prices for, for a barrel went from a hundred dollars to $42, my project pretty much uh, ended and my, uh, the people out the, the portfolio I was on, which was the ExxonMobil portfolio, they stopped drilling. So they said, we just don't have enough engineers to support the amount of projects that we have. And they tried to move me around and I ended up with uh, being left with a, with, a, with, a, with a decision to either take a different role that would have required me to get half of my salary or take a severance. So I decided to to, to, to put a bet on myself. And at the time I had five rental properties at the time. And so I decided to bet on myself and do this real estate thing full time. And uh, it's been it's been a heck of a journey. And even the short term rental space as a whole, I wasn't even particularly looking for it. You know, I, I was doing fix and flips. I was doing buy, uh, wholesaling, buying and holding. I was really doing market research to really turn things up and really take things to the next level. In my research, I came across a short term rental space. And at the time I had two houses that I was doing a remodel on. One I was going to do keep uh, do a flip on and the other one I was going to keep as a rental property and so what ended up happening was I decided to try uh, this short-term rental space and the one I was going to keep as a rental and it ended up working out very well and so then the next month I got another short-term rental and just been growing it ever since nice yeah. So um, I like when you said like bet on yourself, right? Because yeah, that's yeah. something that we talk about often here. So what made you go like why real estate, right? What yeah. was the, what was that the first interest like? The first interest, you know, my, my first interest kind of started uh, the way a lot of people's real estate interests are. I read a book on assets, on owning assets, which is rich dad, poor dad. I read that book about a year after I graduated from college and I decided that, oh, I need to own some assets. I want to own some assets. And at the time I wanted to, I, I felt like I just had this entrepreneurship spirit in me. I was just trying to figure out which exact route I wanted to go in this entrepreneurship game. And I really wanted to leverage my, what I was doing, you know, as an engineer, I didn't want that to just be the only thing. I honestly, being an engineer, as, as much as I liked it, it wasn't the end all be all for me. So I was looking at something to get into when I read that report and I said, oh, I want to own some property. That's what I want to do. And that's how I decided to, to do real estate. So I, I think one of the things that I, some people might miss because they're always so focused on the assets is it helped that you had a high earning career. Absolutely. And so can you talk about how you're able to funnel the, your resources mm -hmm. into financing these deals? Because I mean, your first property, can we talk about how you finance that and just talk about that whole process? Absolutely. So and it's funny, I tell people all the time, um, you know, I'm never, I'll never be one of those guys who's like, yo, you know, forget a nine to five, don't full time entrepreneurship, forget that. Listen, um, use your nine to five and use that day job to leverage the other things that you want to do. And especially on the real estate side, it's so much easier. It's so much easier to assume assets, especially if you have a W-20 income, if you have that nine to five job, because they view you as stable. And so you, while you while you make money, it's okay to work for that company, but but build something for yourself. I remember um, I would I would go to work, and I would come home my five six o'clock. I would eat my dinner, and then I would be in my home office calling sellers, uh, marketing, and getting on the phone calls, getting on the phone calls, getting on the phone calls. I remember the uh, the girlfriend I had at the time. She was like, "Man, like why are you like you already working? Why are you spending so much more time? You're still working." You, I was like, "Well." 
that's perfectly fine that I'm working. I'm okay. Listen, I'm on these million dollar projects, making this company a lot of money every single day running these projects. I said, I have to invest something in myself. So I'm going to leverage my time and my income while I'm doing that to build something for myself. And it was that, and that's really what, what, what people should do in, in the sense of, you know, while they're working to be able to build something for yourself, especially if you want to do real estate, man, it's such a big benefit and really set some realistic goals as to where you want to be before you decide to walk out of that situation. So you can make yourself, um, uh, position yourself to, to do a lot better than a lot of folks who, who don't have that nine to five back man. So definitely. Yeah, I think that's good because, um, you know, it's like, I don't know where it got cool to criticize people who were working a nine to five, right? But you are absolutely, absolutely right. Like I work with clients all the time who um, wish they had a stable income because Mm -hmm. they're trying to buy real estate and they can't. Or, you know, they have a stable income and then they're leveraging the different ways on how we can, you know, use an FHA or use a conventional or, you know, like just all the different loan types that you can leverage. Like you said, when you do have that quote unquote financial security. Um, But the other thing that I loved about your story, like you said, just going back to when you say you had a decision to make, right? You could take a severe pay cut um, or like you said, take that money and just bet on yourself. And the good thing about that is that you already built up a rental portfolio five properties and you already had something working for you and i want people to realize like when when you do take that leap of faith or you are presented with a decision or or you get let go you know whether whether it's your choice or not um the key is already having something in the works right and so so many people want to jump out the window and say you know i'll I'll build my plan on the way down or I'll figure it out. But it's so much mm-hmm. easier to figure it out when you've already got something working for you. You end up just you end up running back to another job if you don't have anything built. And that's why I like Absolutely. what he was saying where you you work your job and then you build something for yourself. And so people, I feel like people think we're criticizing nine to fives and that's not the case. We're just saying, don't let the nine to five be everything that you have. Don't bet on that nine to five to save you. Don't bet on that nine to five to give you that pay raise. And so if you take that approach, then you have a more advantageous situation where they say, we're not doing it to quit the job. We're saying just in case that job quits you, you want to make sure that you have something to fall back on. Absolutely. 100%. I always tell people that, I always tell people that, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. Like that nine to five is perfectly fine. But if that is the only, thing you're doing that that's actually to me that's a risk (laughs) if that's the only thing you're doing so leverage that to build something and man things will be a lot easier absolutely absolutely so tell us what does that first deal look like for you that first Mm -hmm. rental property Man, so you know, there's a so there when I when it comes to rental properties, right? I always try to tell people there's a money versus time exchange. Now, I'll give you an example. That my very first rental property was a house uh, out here in Missouri City, Houston. Um, it's, a, it's a suburb part of Houston, and it didn't need any work. This property I bought it for ninety thousand dollars. Didn't need any work. It was you know new floors, new roof, new AVAC system. Everything was perfect. I went ahead and bought that property with a conventional loan. I put down twenty percent. So I came to the closing, I think about $22,000 came to the closing. My mortgage was $840 a month. I, I had that thing rented out within two weeks for $1,240 a month. So that Delta, that different, that was my cash flow, right? Um, that was the way I bought my first property. See, I bought that property with my money, right? It, it required a down payment um, versus the way I really buy my properties now, which is more so with my time. I buy them with my time and I buy these properties distressed and I buy them to where they need work. And so now I leverage a private lender to buy this property, have to, you know, 
or go to the appraisal process, leverage a private lender, go with your, with your rehab scope of work, get your uh, contract involved, get the bid, send it over to the private lender, get the appraisal done, and then you close on this property. But I'm able to do this with little to no money out of pocket because the private lender gives me 70 to 75% loan of value. So it's essentially the Burr method, which is the way I buy most of my properties now. Why leverage a private lender where he's able to fund 70 to 75% loan of value, which I'm able to use that money to buy the asset and fund the rehab as well. And then I go into the refinance of that property with a conventional loan. And now that that rehab, now that property is done being rehabbed and it's, it's nice, now I can qualify for a conventional loan. Then I come up with a conventional loan or a bank and I refinance that property. And because I'm able to leverage that 70 to 75% loan of value, meaning 70 to 75% of whatever the act of repair value is. When I buy that property, what is the value of that property going to be once it's fixed up? And that's what the lender bases their numbers off of. So I'm able to leverage their those uh, their money to buy the property, do the rehab, and then refinance it. And I'm still able to capture about 20, 20 to 30% equity, instant equity capture, and still able to cash on that property. But that that process takes time. So I bought that I bought that asset with not so much money out of pocket, maybe covering closing costs. But it took a lot of time to get there versus that first example. Um, it didn't take much time at all, but it did take a lot more capital up front to get there. So now I buy my real estate with my time more so. And so, so that's, yeah. When you say time, you mean phone calls, you mean marketing, you mean hitting the, hitting the yep. pavement. Yep. That's what you're talking about. In the pavement. Time means phone calls. It means marketing. It means getting that lead, right? Then it means it's time to get the property. Between the time when you buy that property or get that lead to get the property and to the point to where that property is cash flowing, to the point that property is actually making money. That took a lot of time. Getting that lead is one thing. And then also rehabbing the property. That's, you know, a few months, depending on how bad the rehab is. And then you refinance it. That's another month process right there. And then the property starting to cash flow. So that takes time, but a minimum, lot less money out of pocket, but it does take time versus that first example. I had that property cash flow within two weeks when I bought it. And so, but that took a lot of more money, but it probably didn't need any work. So I, I more so buy real estate with my time these days uh, versus my versus my money. So I would argue that you bought the first property kind of with your time as well, because you probably had to save up the 20 grand. And that probably came from you working on the job, which means you were trading time for money. And the only reason I bring it up is because it means anybody can kind of hop into this. The the idea that you don't have stacks on stacks on stacks shouldn't prevent you from getting out there and finding deals. Absolutely. I tell people like having stacks is dope, but deal flow is hard, man. Like I can't even find a good deal to save my life these days. So it's like you have all this money sitting here and it's like, I guess I just got to look at the cash because I can't find a deal that makes sense. Right. Want more money to pay off debt and increase your income? I'm Terry Egioma from Invest with Terry, and I teach an online course on how to invest in the stock market for daily or weekly returns. My seven-step strategy saves you time and erases the guesswork from trading. With these seven steps, I've earned over $16,000 in a day without having a large account. Start big or small, these proven steps will increase your profits and decrease your losses. To learn more, visit itradeandtravel.com. Hey ladies, this is your co-host, Roshana Scott. And are you looking for a community of women real estate investors? If so, I want to take a quick second to share with you Infinity Membership. Sorry, fellas, but Infinity Membership is a women's only online community for newbie and experienced investors. Come let your hair down and join a non-judgment zone sisterhood where all of your questions about investing in real estate get answered. This is also an opportunity to learn from the best of the best 
Other seasoned and successful women in the industry share their success tips often. Our live group sessions are twice a month and we support each other daily within our private Facebook group. Our sessions range from driving for dollars to working with contractors to out-of-state investing, raising private capital, marketing your deals, and so much more. Does this sound like something that you've been looking for? Well, we would love to have you. For more information, visit us at bit.ly forward slash infinity membership. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash infinity membership. This episode is brought to you by 24-7 Watches. Shop our limited edition luxury watches at 247watches.com. That's T-W-E-N-T-Y. 47watches.com. Use code Todd Capital at checkout for a special discount. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at 247watches. That's at T W E N T Y 47watches. The, yeah, I was actually about to ask, you know, since you speak about the Burr method, like, do you yeah. feel as though those deals are still easily easy to find these things? Um, I think it really, I think it really depends. A lot of it depends on your market. Uh, here in Houston, it is quite competitive. Um, but what I found is that when I decided to really niche down in particular, so my, my strategy was more broad before. You know, I, I would give a bunch of zip codes like, you know what, I'm open to these zip codes. But now I've kind of niched down um, into specific areas. And what I found that is that me, by me doing that, is that I'm able to get my name out there in that particular market, that particular neighborhood is that, look, I am the ideal person. I'm buying a lot of real estate in this in this area. Like, for example, here in Houston, Third Ward, you know, the last closing I did, uh, one of the, the agents, she brought she brought me a, a gift that said, Mr. Third Ward on it. Because I own, I own properties here in Third Ward, but a lot of people know that this is where I buy it. A lot of people know that. So even when I network with people, a lot of deals don't get passed, especially if it's a small multifamily. It doesn't get past me um, because I decided to kind of niche down and kind of be the man um, in that per se in that particular area. So I think, you know, you know, that was something that definitely helped out. I think definitely is de- definitely is getting a little bit uh, uh, harder to find good deals. People are coming up with different ways, different marketing strategies to figure out which marketing strategy is working the most. Um, but, you know, for me, I one of the main things, I don't spend too much time on marketing. A lot of, well, not like I used to, to be honest, but I network with a lot of agents and I work with a lot of uh, real listing agents and I, and I network with them all the time. I'm touching them all the time to let them know that, hey, I am still interested in this area. Let me know what you got. Give me a chance to get this property before it goes on the MLS. Uh, give me give me a shot at it first. And I network with a lot of agents and I get deals to my email all the time because of that, because I'm consistent with that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so let's talk about uh, short-term rentals. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about that and what, what that business looks like. And we'll talk about pre-COVID, pre-pandemic mm-hmm. before we touch mm-hmm. on, you know, the current of it so how long have you been doing that and i know you said you weren't looking for it um yeah. so what did what did that first kind of you know setup or, or deal look like absolutely my first short term rental went live in december 2017 but i like to kind of just take this 20 january 2018 so it's been a little over two about two and a half years now being in the space um, being in that particular strategy, of course, I've been investing in real estate since 2015, but mainly being being in the short-term rental space since uh, 2000, so a little bit over two and a half years now, and it's been great. It's been it's been awesome. Um, that that pre pre COVID, you know, things were things were different. You know, uh, you know, things were things were flowing very very well. I remember 
there was a day I was standing in front of my duplex outside. I was talking to one of my cleaning, one of my cleaning crews and I got a text message and they said that, man, this is this past March. They said, I, the text message said, TJ, they just canceled the rodeo. For y'all who don't know, the Houston rodeo is like the biggest festival. Um, and it's a month long deal and people travel from all over the place. March is a really, really big month to kick off the high season in terms of short-term rentals here in Houston, this Houston market. So I got a text. They said, man, they canceled the rodeo. And I was like, wow, well, I kind of saw that coming. And not even 30 minutes later, my phone just started flooding and buzzing. All these cancellations canceled, canceled, canceled. Mm -hmm. So about, I I think between the next two days after that, I lost about 80% of our reservation, but that was supposed to come in between March and April. Lost about 80% of the reservation that's supposed to come in. So it was a lot, it was a lot. It was a big undertaking at first. It was like, wow, okay, okay, this is new. How do we go about this? And so then, uh, you know, we kind of went back and we sat back and I convened with my mentors. It's okay, so how are we, because here's the thing, as an entrepreneur, you know, if you're the kind of person that kind of sits back and lets things happen to you, you know, that you might really want to rethink this entrepreneurship thing because at the end of the day we're problem solvers and we're problem solvers not only for our clients and the people that we serve we're problem solvers within our own businesses as well as things come up we got to be able to pivot we got to be able to adjust and realize what's working to to, to compensate for that certain situation so we just kind of went back and we said okay what works what what will work right now and so we said okay who exactly it is that we serve and where where our location the locations of all of our short-term rentals these locations are ideal we're within 10 minutes to the hospital we are within 10 minutes to the downtown Houston area, within 10 minutes in the Midtown, still really close to all the business sectors that are here in Houston. So we just pivoted our marketing. Now we still use the OTAs, which is the online travel agencies like Airbnb, Booking.com, VRBO, whatnot, but we really ramped up our own marketing, our own direct booking site, got a boost in terms of just the way we started marketing it, because we have a direct booking site as well. So we started calling a lot of hospitals, calling you know certain businesses to say that, hey, we know there's a lot going on right now, but when you have your travel nurses come by or you have your doctors come in we have beautiful places that can accommodate you guys and so these hospitals started booking our listings you know and so that started working very well and then another thing that we do is start to change up our pricing strategy as well offering a lot more a lot bigger discounts and offering bigger incentives to people who still want to book with us and so something happened there was a shift that took place during these COVID times in the short-term rental space uh, even uh, the founder of Airbnb put an, uh, put a statement out there and said what, right now what they're seeing is 50% of bookings that are coming in during these COVID times were, were month-long stays or more, right? So we started getting a lot of those stays. And so we started offering big discounts for people who wanted to stay for a longer term, 30 days or more. We started offering these big discounts. Matter of fact, we had a, a, on our list and we put it out there. We said, if you book at least 60 days, you get a free flat screen 50 inch TV. You know what I mean? So you, we, we provided those kind of incentives and we were able to literally recoup all that 80% that we lost. We were able to recoup, if not almost all of it, by at least 90% of those reservations. We were able to get those dates backfilled um, because of the adjustments that we made, because of the pivots that we made to our pricing and our marketing strategy. So it's been working out very, very well. Were we as profitable as we would have been if things were okay? Not necessarily. We weren't as profitable, but still profitable nonetheless, considering the times. Even right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm 92% occupied across my listings, and it's going pretty, pretty well. And even with this, you know, 
it's you know things aren't aren't shut down, but you know this this with things ramping back up, we're still getting a lot, a lot, a lot of bookings. And mm-hmm. the things we're seeing right now is we're getting people that are traveling locally, just maybe they're in a neighboring state or neighboring mm-hmm. cities. They're traveling in and they're coming in because they just want to do a low. They don't they don't feel comfortable flying. They want to go ahead and travel to do a more of a get a more local experience. And they drive and they come stay in my units and they have you know they stay for a week. Or, or a few weeks at a time or a weekend and we're getting a lot of those reservations plus we're still getting a lot of our medical folks that are staying with us as well because we're, we're situated very very nicely so it's been working out pretty well uh, I think you know what people need to understand is just being able to make adjustments in time especially as an entrepreneur as a business owner being able to adjust to meet the demand of what's going on at the, at the time is very very important that's exactly what we did and it's been work, it worked out very well for us <laughs> that's good what were um yeah man the art of the pivot like that that's i'm sure that could be a whole series or a whole episode on just that um so initially like even in the beginning or pre-covid what were some of the biggest lessons that you Mm. learned in the short-term rental space when even just getting started absolutely i think one of the biggest adjustments that i had to make is learning how to screen my guests properly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was one of the biggest things because at the end of the day you're sustained because this is a this business is a long-term play like this is a business we're building to sustain this is a business not a business that we're just getting in and getting out at some point in time i'm building a brand here i'm building a, i'm building a legit business here and we want to make sure that the, the process for for the, the better the better guess you can get into your unit consistently the better your business will be so we had to kind of make an adjustment and fine-tuning that process of how we screen our guests and there are a lot of things that we look at now I remember there was a time back in May, this was May 2018, and uh, it was my, my one of my one-bedroom listings that I had, and I was 98% occupied that month, right, with that, with that listing. I wanted to be 100% occupied, and so I had somebody that wanted to book those last two days, and I was like, oh, great, great, I got, I got my whole, this whole calendar full 100%, and they came in, they, brand new profile, um, they were local, um, didn't have, didn't even have a profile picture. Um, and I, I was so blinded by, you know, oh, I just want to get this calendar full, but I did not screen this guest properly. And what I learned from that experience is that not all money is good money <laughs> at all. So they, he came in and man, he, the security at that complex had to call me like, yo, TJ, at like 1.30 in the morning, it was like, man, something's going on at your unit, man. So I had to drive over there and they were having, I mean, I don't know what I call a party. It was on another level of, of, of an event. It was a big party that they were, it was like one bedroom apartment with like 45 people there, people all in the hallways, people, other other residents were coming out like, what is going on here? And uh, it was one of the biggest mistakes I made. They was, they was, having, a, they was having a fifi. <laughs> What is it? You never heard that song, Fifi on the Block. It's like a big party. Big party. party, But it's like a huge party. It's usually outside, but it sounds like they had a Fifi inside. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because the two things you mentioned are two things that the girl who just did that interview on Earn Your Leisure said that she doesn't do. Like, she won't book a local guest. Yeah. And also, like, if it's a new profile, there's no reviews, yep. there's nobody, there's no track record there. So you yep. just get them blindsided. Yep, absolutely. And and I, and I mentioned that because those are the things that we make sure that we look out for now. But, you know, being being still new in the business, uh, being naive, just looking at the money more so, um, it, I would just, I didn't even, I completely ignored those things. So 
uh, yeah, those are very, very important. And they're, they're just a part of the way you're supposed to be screening these guests. We don't take local guests. We don't take local guests. You have to have a really, really, really good reason to book with us if you're local. We are, <laughs> you have to have a really, really good reason. We try not to ostracize everybody. But yeah, most of the local guests that want to book with us, we don't accept them unless we hear you out and see why you want to book. And then if it makes sense, especially if you have previous reviews that are good, that makes sense. And we look at reviews, not only if you have reviews that you, that you stayed out of town, have you stayed local before? and you had a good review, then we, we consider you. But outside of that, we, we, we hardly consider local guests. What, so, so what type of local guests like, would you accept? Like, yeah, so, so for one thing, understand, especially here in Houston, the city's big, it's a big city. And my listings are, is, is the, see, Houston is like comprised of different loops, right? So inside the 610 loop is where you know the medical center is, the downtown area is, the midtown area is, is where people really like to travel to. And so this is where our units are, are situated. And so, but a lot of times people that live out in the burbs, you know, 45 minutes away, 30 minutes away, they want to stay in the city for that week or for that weekend because they mm -hmm. just want to be close by because they have some, either they have something to do in that city, they're celebrating somebody in that city, but they're coming in with good intentions and they're not coming in to throw a party. They just want to be close to the Midtown area, or maybe they're coming in and they have a relative or a friend that's getting a procedure done in the hospital. They want to stay close to the hospital uh, for that week or for that time period. We get a lot of those folks as well. And that's perfectly fine but you know outside of you know outside of those kind of reasons um then we then we, we really don't consider uh local guests but what about small reasons. events no we don't we don't allow events of any kind in our units any events kind. of any kind any kind okay. i don't care if it's a get together a baby shower mm -hmm. we don't allow events of any kind in our units. if they do something like that can you go after them after the fact to say oh well you owe us this much in damage it's kind of like if you rented a like just an apartment absolutely yes you can and you know there are ways that you can actually and depending on what platform you're doing your, your the reservation came in at, it's a different process in terms of uh, um, you know, uh, handling damages that guests might guests might have caused. Uh, but yeah, you could definitely go after them for that. Um, even if they, especially if they smoke, if they smoke, even if they smoke in your unit, you know, you can definitely go after for you. If you smoke in my unit, that's two fifty off top. That's two hundred fifty dollars just to get just to get the smoke out and all that. And uh, we build them for that. You know what I mean? And there's a way that you kind of go about that. But yeah, if you if you if you definitely uh, if you cause damage, but yeah, we definitely uh, we definitely go, go about it. And and I'm glad you mentioned that too because there was a time, you know, my mentor. I was doing a Zoom call with my mentor one time in our group, and he was talking about how we're letting a lot of stuff slide like. A lot of guests that would mess up your sheets, a lot of guests mess up your towels. So my mentality before was like, oh, it's just sheets and towels. I'll just order new ones. It's fine. And so I was letting a lot of that stuff slide. But now uh, when my, my mentor told me, he said, look, add up. When you look at, really look at it for a month and really add up the cost of the linens that you lose. And when I added it up, it was like literally thousands. I was like, wow, you know, across with all the listings that I have. I'm literally, I need to get more granular and I need to be more serious about uh, making sure that I'm charging guests when they mess up my sheets and my towels because I'm missing out on a lot of money and I'm losing a lot of money uh, by not doing that. So yeah, we're, we definitely got that process down packed. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working the job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital.
Todd Consultant presents the Vending Machine Business Webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at partnerwithmillie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. You got to run a business like a business. We had a Absolutely. tenant move in, and she was there for like two weeks, decided she didn't want to stay there anymore, but she thinks she's getting all her money back. Oh, mm-hmm. if we have to re-clean up after you, we're going to charge you to clean up after you. We're not just going to just count it as a loss. Like, we're not taking that L for you. Um, exactly. So long, short-term rentals are are like kind of notorious or they're well known that they cash flow much greater than just a standard long-term rental. So with that excess, are you accelerating the debt pay down or are you looking to scale your business? Or are you just driving a Rolls Royce? <laughs> for me, for me, I'm looking to scale the business. For me, I'm scaling the business. Um, uh, you know, it is true that, you know, if you're running your short-term rental right, you should be able to cash flow, I would say on average, about three times the amount as you would as a traditional rental property. And so, yes, that, that excess cash flow does, does come in, a, does, is great, but I use it to grow the business. And one thing that I like to caution people on to do is I don't buy property because I'm, I'm both what you consider a landlord host and a rental arbitrage host. I own my short-term rental properties, but I also have corporate leases. I rent some of my rental, short-term rentals as well. And right now it's about, I think it's right now it's about 60% ownership and 40% rentals. Well, we're probably, I'll, that'll be even down to 50-50 by the time the year's over. Now, I tell people, when you, especially when you own your short-term rentals, you want to make sure that you buy it right. I, I don't care what real estate strategy that you do, whether you're doing flips, whether you're doing buying and hold, whether you're wholesaling. You make your money when you buy the property, when you buy that asset. I don't, I don't buy properties and make them short-term rentals if they will not cash flow as a traditional rental property. If I can't put a regular tenant in that property right. and let it cash flow and I won't be upside down, that I'm not buying that property, that numbers don't make sense for me. Because for two reasons. For one thing, right now, a lot of refinance lenders and a lot of banks and mortgage companies aren't recognizing your short-term rental income as 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 golden. You know, what they still look at wow. is a lease agreement. They want to see your traditional, what, what it would rent for, right? So if it won't rent for, if, if you'll be upside down if you rent it out, then that, probably, that deal won't work for me. So I buy it. Um, and, I'm, and I need to be able to make sure that it cash flows a traditional rental. Second reason is because you never know what could happen. You never know what could happen and why you may need to pivot to a traditional rental property even if it's a temporary pivot you never know what could happen especially if you have a short-term rental in a particular neighborhood and maybe some deed restrictions come into place that shut you down you know what are you going to do you you know you could maybe you could sell the property you know, obviously if you have enough equity to cash to, to make money from it but you could just put a traditional tenant in and, and let that cash flow as well and, and, and pivot and then move on to another area that'll work for you so you know for that reason when we when i buy my assets and i buy my properties yes it'll cash flow as an Airbnb as a short-term rental. Yes, it will. But it needs to also cash flow as a traditional rental as well. Nice. Um, So what do you prefer or what have you found more success with or does it matter? Like if um, as as a short-term rental, like single family versus, um, you know, multi-units or 
um, like condos, apartments, you know, like what, what's, what's your mix like, or, or what do you prefer? What have you seen more success with? So I'm seeing a lot more, I'm seeing more success, um, with my properties that I own that are multifamily, my small multifamily properties, my duplexes or whatnot, these cash flow, the, these cash tends to cash flow the most. Uh, when I have, what I do with my duplexes, is kind of a niche within the short-term rental niche itself, because Airbnb and short-term rentals is kind of a niche within the real estate industry, but I niche down even further by having three listings with my duplexes so i have a, a listing for one unit i have a listing for the second unit but i have a listing if you want to rent both units at the same time if you want to rent the entire building you can do that as well and so um my my numbers on my duplexes are far better than probably any other asset that i have um now for example i have a duplex now my very first duplex i bought for example i have a mortgage of about 1900 a month right that's my mortgage but my um two bedroom unit that i rent you know i have a, my rent is like eight $1,800 for that two bedroom unit for that one two bedroom unit, right? But for my duplex, that's a two bedroom is 1900 for the entire building. So the numbers work a lot better. And they're only about eight minutes away from each other. So location is still great. And so my numbers are a lot better with the properties that I own, especially my duplexes. My big houses do very well too. Like I have what we call house plus. If you have a house properties that are at least 2200 square feet, we consider them house pluses. Now these properties, you know, they sleep at least 10 people. When you have those kind of properties that are nice and they set up properly, uh, we get a lot of large groups that that are there. We um, and so those those properties do very well as well. So I, I shot a video of my very first Airbnb. Um, it's about a seventeen hundred square feet, three three bedroom, two bath house, and I broke down exactly how I bought it on my Instagram. And that property still does numbers to this day. It's a it's a house that sleeps ten people, and it does very very well. So I will I will give the I will give my first to say my small multifamilies. I'll probably do I'll have the best margins with those. But I, I still love my rental arbitrage properties because they still cash flow very well as well. They still cash flow. Um, but my rental arbitrage properties, this is what allows me to scale. This is what allows me to kind of take it to the next level because that you can build those up a lot more quicker than buying the properties. Remember, buying it with your time, buying the properties, doing the rehab and all that. So that's why I still like my rental arbitrage properties. But the ones that I own, especially my, my small multifamilies, they definitely do better numbers. So I have two questions. So how do you fit 10 people in a three-bedroom house? <laughs> Great question. So 10 people in a three-bedroom house. Uh, so one room has two queen beds. I mean, it's a, these are big rooms. Now, these, these are very solid. It's not cramped up. It's very comfortable. We put nice big flat screen TVs in all of our rooms. Um, and the living rooms. It has uh, two two queen beds in one room. The master has a king bed, so that's six, two, four, six. The third bedroom also has a queen bed, that's eight. And then the couch in the living room is a is a queen size pull out sofa, so that's ten. So that sleeps ten. Um, that this house actually has a second den area. It actually has a second living room, uh, but we put a uh, uh, we don't have a sleeper in that one. Um, it could it could have slept twelve, but. We just we just kept it at ten. My rule of thumb is that I don't put more than six guests to one restroom. Like if you have one restroom, um, I don't put more than six guests to, to one. So if you say you should have a one bedroom unit with one bathroom, it shouldn't sleep more than six at the at the max. That should be the most it sleeps. Um, but you t those tend to sleep about four people uh, with a bed and a master, then a pull out sofa. Uh, some people let it sleep six as well by providing like an air mattress or, or foldable beds or something like that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, but in a big house, that's 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 the unit. That's a sleep mix. What I like to call 
sleep mix. That's a sleep mix in the uh, in the big house. Yes. Oh. And then my second question is, can you break down exactly what rental arbitrage is um, mm-hmm. for our guests who are listening who might not know? So what are some <laughs> risks associated with rental arbitrage? Absolutely. So rental arbitrage is, is, is what's also known as control without ownership. Some people also know it as master leasing. And what I like about it is that it's an opportunity for you to gain cash flow from these properties that you don't own, but you can still cash flow from them. And what I tell people is these rental arbitrage properties, you can get it from what we call owner-occupied landlords. These are landlords like myself who own real estate. You know, maybe you own a house, a multifamily property, a single family property. You can rent from them, just do a lease, rent it from them. Or you can do, or you can rent from a REIT, which is like an apartment complex. These are, you know, you know, your, your 200, 300, 400 you know, unit apartment complexes that you can rent from. And so what I tell people is to make sure if you're going to do a rental arbitrage, you want to do it right. You want to make sure that you do it right. I do not teach my people or tell people to rent it under your personal name. Rent it under a business. Do a corporate lease. Don't rent it under your personal name for a couple of reasons. For one reason is that you are exposing yourself to liability issues. Understand that when somebody rents a property out to you and they vet you and they look at your social security and they look at your credit and whatnot, they are vetting you and, and, and approving you. So if you have, you know, if, if somebody else stays there, uh, if somebody else stays there, understand that some, it's, it's treated as like a business. If they have a if they have a slip and fall and they want to sue you, now your name is exposed to everything, right? So you want to make sure that you read it under a business, under an entity, and that have that business uh, uh, on the lease agreement. That's what's called a corporate lease. So a lot of apartment complexes they usually tend to have about twenty percent of their of their units just allocated to corporate leases. So when we talk to these apartment complexes, the first question we ask them is, "Hey, do you guys have any corporate corporate leases available? We're we're looking to rent a few a few units. Are you the right person to talk to?" So, second reason is is that by definition, if you rent it under your name, by definition, you are subleasing, right? And subleasing is not allowed in a lot of places. A lot of places do not allow subleasing because again. They qualified you. They did not qualify. If you sublease it to somebody else, they did not qualify that person. So uh, um, another, you don't want to, by definition, you don't want to sublease. You want to do it under a business because it's understood that as a business, that business can't stay at that property. Somebody will be staying on behalf of the business. And they understand that you are, as a business, you want your business to succeed. So they are trusting you to, to confirm that vetting process to make sure you get the right people to stay in there. So you want to make sure that you do it the right way. You want to make sure that you rent it under a business. And if you do it under a business, it's a really good chance that you'll be able to get more than one listing. Like we just, we locked in five units in a midtown apartment complex uh, about a month ago. We already got one of them going. We're going to be rolling out the other, the rest of them because we do it under business, right? And that's why, that's how you want to do it. And I don't encourage people to do it under your personal name. I got a call uh, September of 2019 and it was from a guy that I know. And he hit me up and he said, man, he Instagrammed me. He said, man, TJ, please call me, please call me. So I called him. He said, man, I'm in some trouble. I rented out this apartment complex in, in downtown and they found my listing on Airbnb and now they want to take me to court and now they want me to pay up my entire lease term up front. You know what I mean? So that's that's the what you're kind of exposing yourself to if you don't do it the right way. And if you're if you're if you're not taking these leases down the way you're supposed to be taking these leases down. So, so are you are you saying that you clear like you let them know what your intentions are up front and you say, hey. I'm looking to Airbnb this. Um, what do you think? Can I do something like that here? Because a lot of these places, they're, they're cracking down on Airbnb. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
for one thing, for one thing, we don't say Airbnb. We don't say Airbnb because as much as I like Airbnb, Airbnb definitely has a negative tone to it. So we don't say Airbnb. The way, the way with these apartment complexes, now, now it's two different approaches. If you're going to approach a landlord host, I mean, a land, an owner occupant person, that's different from approaching a, an apartment complex. That's two different, two different approaches. Right. Now, if, with these, with these apartment complexes, um, we, we don't say Airbnb. The goal is to let them know who you are, what you do, and who you serve. Look, we're, we're a corporate housing company. This is who we serve. We serve a lot of medical folks. We serve a lot of business travelers that are traveling in the area. But when you are working with an apartment complex, what's important is more so your business. That is. So if, people, if somebody wants to do rental arbitrage right now, number one thing I'll tell you, go ahead and get that LLC set up. Because a lot of times, different apartment complexes have different requirements. They might want your, your entity to have been established and in good standing for 12 months. You know what I'm saying? So some might want 24 months before they even look to qualify you. So your business is what's important. And the second thing you should do, go ahead and get the DMV number established. Then Donna Bradstreet number, go ahead and get that established as well. Because there, a lot of times they're going to want to pull your business profile based on a Donna Bradstreet number. And once you get the Donna Bradstreet number, go ahead and get what they call trade references or accounts receivable established in your Donna Bradstreet account. Get that established as well, because what's, what these apartment complexes look for is they look at your risk tolerance. You know, for us, for our personal credit, we want our credit to be as high as possible. But with them, they if they pull up your Donna Bradstreet, they want to see what your what your risk tolerance score is. And you want that number to be as low as possible. That means you are a low risk investor or a low risk business person. So for the apartment complex that you want to apply to, say, hey, what's your DMV number? That's what they're looking for. So if you want to do a corporate lease, a lot of times that's what they look for. And you have to be able to position your business. It's not, you don't even have to more so sell yourself too much. It's more so selling that business and having your business ready and qualified. Now, if you're working with an owner occupant person, now you, you're still renting under a business, still renting under an entity, but they want to qualify you as a person. If they don't care too much about it, Don, they're actually not going to look that up. They want to know about you and what you do. And I actually have what I call my perfect tenant program. It's like a business plan almost that literally highlights who we are and what you do and who you serve. And it positions yourself and helps position yourself with a, with a landlord host. And so you're not, you're not more so saying Airbnb, you're not, you're not, you're being upfront about your business model. Because here's the thing, a lot of people tell me, a lot of people tell me like, hey, TJ, you're the Airbnb guy. And I say, yeah, yes, but here's the thing, not really. Airbnb is just a platform. It is not the business I'm in. I'm a short-term rental investor in the real estate space, right? But Airbnb is just one of the platforms, one of the many platforms that we're on. So you are in a short-term rental business. So your goal is to convey what your business does, exactly who your business serves. And so that's what you really more so convey. We don't even mention Airbnb when we do it. So with the REIT, you want to make sure you qualify your business. And then with the owner-occupant person, you more so qualify yourself and positioning your, yourself to that landlord. So are these leases long-term leases? Or are they like month to month? And do you have clauses that say that you can get out of that lease in the event that you need to break it early? Uh, so these are long-term leases. These are long-term leases. Um, for me, I've actually never included a clause in there. Um, now, I've done that with an owner-occupant landlord, not with the REIT. With the REIT, in most cases, you can't. You just have to just take down that, that 12-month lease. I actually like to do 24-month leases in my REIT. But for me, I've done a lot of market research to confirm and look at that income potential for that particular apartment complex mm. before I even approach them. So I know exactly what I'm getting into. And uh, another thing that helps is that all my units are within a certain uh, uh, hemisphere in the city. So I know proximity-wise what that listing, what that potential income for that listing is going to be. So I go in and confident. If I'm not confident at the cash flow at that listing, I'm not even going there. So when I look to take down a listing, I'm already confident at that, what that thing's going to do. So, so I'm confident in signing that year or two-year lease. Now with the owner-occupant, I have done it to where, hey, you know, this is a nice property. 
great location, but you know, if let's let's go ahead and do, you know, we can do it month to month for about four months or six months, and we like each other, then we can go ahead and extend that thing to for a year or two years or whatever the case may be. We have done that. We have done that one hundred percent. And actually, one of the ones that we've taken down, the la- the landlord actually requested that. He said, "Hey, look, let's do this. I- I'm okay. I'm I'm buying into the idea. Let's do this for just a few months to make sure that we like each other. You're making your payments on time. You take care of the property. We like each other. Then we'll just go ahead and sign the, the transition to a long term deal." Hi, how are you? I am Andre C. Hatchett, 15-year mobile notary pioneer and veteran. We have created the Notary Business School, which will show you how to start a successful, long-term, needed business as a mobile notary public. Well, with 15 years of experience and with different downturns in the economy, we have labeled this business as being recession-proof, meaning that you can run this business in any climate, any city, any state in America. On average, our students make between 60 and 200 per appointment, which usually takes under an hour. I'll say that again. On average, our students usually make between $60 and $250 per appointment as a mobile notary public. If you would like to enroll and save a few dollars, go to the website, millinotarypromo.com. That is millinotarypromo.com. Look forward to seeing you in class. Have a great day. Bye-bye. So my last question before I hand it back over to Rashana is how do you determine the income potential or income potential right. from a short-term rental? Because yeah, I mean, I'm in downtown LA. And so my goal is like, I want to do this in downtown LA, but you're yeah. competing with the hotels there. You're competing with other people who have the same yeah. mindset. So how do you yeah. know if it makes sense from a risk perspective? For risk perspective, for one thing, understand that there is room for you if you're doing it right. If you're doing it right, mm. understand that the, the, the experience that you're, the, the, there's a no bar. short, that's a that's a bar. Bar. there's that's room a for <laughs> <laughs> there's room for you if you're doing it right. Now, there's there's uh, there's no shortage of good hosts. There's no shortage of great hosts in the, in, in the space. Now, um, one thing that you want to make sure that you do, first of all, you want to make sure that that um, that it's okay that, you know, for, for that particular market, there's always short-term rental restrictions in a particular market. I always tell people to make sure they're looking at the restrictions in that market to make sure that you doing a short-term rental uh, is, 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 is okay. Now, for for on, an, on the other side, we you understand that you are going to be providing a much different experience than a hotel. That's that's very that understand that what a hotel provides that four or five hundred square foot box room is totally different from the experience you're going to be providing at that apartment complex. Even if it's a studio, you're providing a kitchen, you're providing bigger spaces for people to gather. You're providing a local experience for people that stay at your place, which is very different from a hotel. So really, really understand that, especially if you're pricing your units properly, you will do well even in spite of hotels. Um, and also, there's software. First of all, there are two ways that you can make sure too that that property is going to cash flow. Um, you can do it manually. You can you can pay for it. There's a software called AirDNA. AirDNA is almost like the the comp of of short-term rentals, right? So you can if you go on AirDNA, I think you pay for a report. It's like twenty dollars or ten dollars or something like that pay for a report for that particular, put the address in the paper. It's actually going to grade the property from A to D. It's going to say, hey, this is the grade based on the income potential for this particular for this particular address. And you can also look and see what other people, other Airbnbs and what other short-term rentals in that area are doing, what they're charging, how occupied they are, you know, so you can get some good data on, on what you can do and what that potential unit can do before you move into it. And that's the paid way to do it, right? And the free way to do it, you can just go on a software like Airbnb, go on Airbnb, Airbnb, go to click in that particular um, city marketplace, click on the, the map view, and then look, click on these listings and see what they're doing. Look how, 
click on the listing, see if they have professional pictures, see how occupied they are, see um, what kind of, if they offer discounts, look at uh, what they charge every night, things like that. And then you can go into these different listings, that particular area, and just kind of run the numbers that way and make a decision that way. So those are two ways that you can really dissect the numbers. But in terms of, you know, competition and, you know, hotels, trust me, there's room for you if you're doing it right. This is dope. I'm going to get a two bedroom in downtown LA, Airbnb the other bedroom, and just keep one bedroom for myself. Fantastic. That, 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 that'll do. That'll do. That'll do good. <laughs> but he might want to check with the uh, local laws, right? Um, the right. building, because <laughs> you don't want to get caught. Yeah. Actually, that, yeah. actually, that, I know someone, a friend of mine who lives in um, downtown um, Milwaukee, right where the Bucks play. And she has a two bedroom. And for a while, she, and she travels a lot anyway, but she would rent out like the one bedroom and she would just lock her own room, you know, when she wasn't right. there and cash flowing greatly. Um, but the building, you know, cracked down on her about it. You know, the neighbors were complaining. There's somebody we different. Gotta, somebody new every other week, these. you know. So, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, one thing that you uh, mentioned before we wrap up, um, I love that you said like you're hosting an, an experience, right? And that's yeah. what you have to keep in mind too. Like you said, you're running a business, but it's also so much more than a business. Like you, it's, it's so much more than nice pictures and making your property yeah. look nice. Cause I yeah. even have gone to properties that did not look like the pictures and that mm-hmm. was disappointing. But, um, but like you said, it's, it's a part of an entire experience and really um, put in passion into what you're doing to make sure that, um, you know, your guests have a great experience they have a great time they have a great stay and then in turn obviously that will grow your business just by doing good business um so i really like the fact that you pointed that out um that you are really providing an an experience there's so much more than just providing them somewhere to stay are you still a full-time entrepreneur or are you back kind of working and building your business at the same time oh so i'm actually a full-time entrepreneur now you know since when i made that decision to 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 walk away from my engineering position um you know i i you know, when I've been growing a business, I just haven't went back to it. And, you know, so it's been good. But again, you know, like we talked about earlier, that that head start that I got was crucial. First of all, mm-hmm. you know, being able to get the degree that I got and being able to work with the company that I work with is a huge blessing on its own. I wouldn't change anything about that. And being able to start something on my own while I was working was really, really what helped made me make that decision. So, you know what? Okay. I technically, by definition, you know, all my expenses are handled by my assets. Okay. Let me go ahead and bet on, let me go ahead and bet on myself. So yeah, I've been full time ever since. So, and at that time too, when you had those five rental properties, um, when you, um, decided to walk away, um, did the rental income meet your current salary or exceed it? Uh, at this, at this point, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're exceeded at this point. Yeah, we're exceeded at this point. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, when you, before you walked away. The, oh, before I walked away. Right, right, right. When you were faced with the decision of, you know, going another route or, or taking a package or like at the point of, you know, having those five mm-hmm. rental properties, where where was that income in relation to your oh, current yeah. salary? Oh, no, it definitely didn't exceed it. It definitely didn't exceed. And I was fortunate enough to, to make six figures out of college. You know what I mean? It, it, it cost me a lot of time because I was traveling quite a bit. But I was fortunate enough to to have a six figure income out of college, and so I mean, with with all the assets that I had, it wasn't it didn't cover it per se. It didn't cover all of it, but it, it did cover all my expenses, which is which is good, which is totally different. Yeah, but no, it it didn't it didn't it didn't. But I was still able to, you know, because of what I did build, and the little that I was able to build, I was still able to confidently come away. 
and then you got your time. So then you can start investing exactly. your time, which is exactly. worth way more than the money. Man, big time. Preach that. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Cool. Good interview. So um, as a wrap up, we always ask the same couple of questions. The first question is, who is someone that you look up to and why? Man, someone that I look up to and why? I would say, um, I would say, I mean, I'd be remiss not to mention my mentors. You know, my mentors that has definitely helped me out through my journey, both my real estate mentors that has helped me even when I was wholesaling and doing fix and flips. Um, I had mentors then. I joined, you know, different groups. And even now in the short-term rental space, the, my community of short-term rental, I mean, we have a community of elite, elite investors in the short-term rental space, folks that have 100 units plus, you know, 80 units, people that are really growing this thing. And, um, you know, those folks have really, I look up to them all the time. And even the, with the brand that I'm building here in Houston, they're super supportive. Um, and so, yeah, it's been great. So my mentors, for sure, I would say uh, somebody that I look up to. And, and, and again, my mother, my mother, I wouldn't be here without her. She's, she's the, she, I, honestly, I tell you, my mother's probably one of the best, like probably the best person I know, period. You know what I'm saying? So um, just watching her uh, growing up has been super, super inspiring. And she still keeps me going to this day. So, um, so yeah, I'll say there's probably two people. Nice. And I want to ask too, so as far as your mentors, because I think that's, that's going to be a, con- a consistent conversation that, or that we always have, um, like you, are you, did you, was it ever a point where you had to like pay for mentorship or pay for coaching? Like, what did that look like? Because even I figure you were going to say your mentors, cause you mentioned them like two to three times throughout the interview, but even the process of obtaining a mentor, like what did that look like? Because that's always a question from newbies yeah. and people looking to get started. Like is yeah. mentoring supposed to be free? Is it something mm-hmm. you pay for? You know, that mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, you know, there's a saying that goes, when people pay, they pay attention. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so for me, I definitely paid for my mentor. I definitely had to pay for my mentor. And it actually took me a while to to kind of get, uh, get in his radar. At the time, he was he was growing his business and, you know, he was putting out, you know, I, I, I came up, came up on him on, on, uh, on the internet and I was reaching out to him and I was reaching out to him and I was pinging him. And, uh, it took a while to get a, to get a response back. And he said, Hey, actually, okay, let's, let's talk, let's get on the call. And I talked to him. And so he got me involved in his community and his, in his, uh, in his community and the people that he's really, really helping out. And so then he put, he told me to purchase one of his products and I purchased the product. And really, that was really what helped catapult me. So, um, I think, you know, you got to, you got to understand that, you know, when it comes to mentorship, first of all, you want to, you want, when you look to people to mentor you and to help and coach you, you got to be able to do at least one of three things, help you go bigger, better, faster, if not all three of them. If they're not going to help you execute at the minimum, at least one of those things that you really, um, you really probably shouldn't probably wasting your time and your money, but there are, I've purchased products and I've, I've, you know, there's been a lot of gurus circle that I've wasted money on, to be quite honest with you. Um, but it's not even, and, and not even because um because understand no matter what you do with the mentor you have to take action like your execution is the biggest part of it at the end of the day so um but i have been put in i have been put in a great position because of some of the people that i that i decided to surround myself with and so i think that's very very important to have that because what it does is it kind of cuts through it cuts through like if, if it can't help you go faster it cuts through that mistake the, the mistakes that they made a lot of mistakes that they made you can kind of maneuver and finesse yourself around that and that's very very important so i think it's important to have somebody to model after because a lot of times you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel you just have to make sure that you are aligning yourself with the right person who's already on that path that you want 
And so uh, I think that's very, very important. Now you could, you, I think that you, you probably going to have a mentor either way, either a person that you pay for, or you're going to pay for it with the streets <laughs> on the street. So sometimes it just depends on which route you want to go. But uh, I think mentors are pretty valuable. For sure. Um, what's your favorite real estate or business book? Oh man, great question. So, you know, I recently actually, it's, right, it's actually not even a more so a real estate book, but one of the things that I struggle with is like uh, time management. I need to do better with that. I think a lot of people need help with time management, but this book has been one of my favorites. Um, it's got no BS time management for entrepreneurs. I've read it uh, three times now. <laughs> and uh, it's one of those books that you definitely probably want to read at least probably once a year to kind of refresh your mind and keep your mind uh, uh, focused and make sure that you're managing your time properly. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's definitely a great read uh no bs time management for entrepreneurs it's a, it's it's a good one so i think that's kind of um just because i know how important that is to me that's kind of been my, my favorite book lately lately what would you say is your best advice for somebody looking to get started in the short-term rental uh space um i would say i would say um make sure that you man so many of <laughs> for for, for maybe, <laughs> few things make sure to do your market research for one make sure that the market that, that you that the market agrees with the short-term rental space and not even just that market but that particular area in that neighborhood make sure there are no restrictions hoa that'll stop you from ex from executing that your short-term rental confidently get that get your llc going if you want to do rental arbitrage get that entity going get that dmv going and it's okay because a lot of times when you one of the biggest issues one of, one of my students she she uh she was really discouraged because she was talking to landlords and the way she was talking to him was, you know, she was stuttering. She would, she would kind of freeze up. She was fit. She was nervous and stuff. And so I told her, I said, look, that's okay. Consistency is the name of the game here. You will get better and better with time. So don't be discouraged if it doesn't work out the, uh, if it doesn't work out the, the first few times. I remember the first time I went to talk to this apartment complex and I said, Hey, yeah, my name's TJ. Um, I want to do, you know, we, we list our, we list our sites on, we list our listing on different sites and we, uh, you know, and she's like, wait, you're on Airbnb. Oh, no, 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 we, well, this is a waste of my time. And she literally got up and walked out of that day. She probably had a frustrating day already. And I just sat there in the office like, what just happened? And she left me, <laughs> she left me in that office and just left in anger. So uh, don't be discouraged when you, when you get it going, when you're talking to people, um, it, it's repetition is the name of the game. It gets better and better with time. So if you're new, don't feel like, you know, it, you know this business isn't, isn't for you. If you're not able to, to execute these lease agreements and talk to folks comfortably, just give it more time, better repetition. Trust me, you'll become a beast at it. Nice. What sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, and never get started? Man, you know, for uh, that's a great question. I think two things. I think, first of all, failure is is a lot of times a part of the game. You know, the, the, the difference between the folks who actually make it or who don't is are you standing on top of your failures or you decide to lay underneath them and let them consume you. So understand that being able to stand on top of them is very, very important and being able to push through and not, and be, and realizing what went wrong and being able to pivot and, and not make those same mistakes and learn from it and get better from it is very, very important. I know that sounds cliche, but man, it's so, so crucial. And especially we touched on it earlier, being able to adjust because as an entrepreneur, you're a problem solver, you're a problem solver. So you got to be able to solve problems for within your own business as well. So as things as things happen that might seem like a setback, you gotta be able to adjust and pivot and to adjust for that certain situation. I think those two things are very important in what determines whether people succeed or whether they fail. Absolutely, absolutely. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a good interview. 
Um, I was taking notes. I wrote, I definitely wrote down the name of the book uh, and so many gems. I love that you broke down um, like the rental arbitrage and the risk associated with that and how to do it properly to make sure you are, you know, protected and, and things like that. Man, yeah. just definitely an interview that's full of gems. Um, you got anything yeah. else, Charles? Well, where um, can people find you and connect with you and, and support uh, yes. what you have going on? Yes, yes. Definitely check me out. Um, super hot, active on social media, especially on Instagram. At TJ to Johnny, just my name. Nothing even complicated. It's at TJ, T-I-J-A-N-I. Definitely, definitely tap it on me there. Nope. Man, it's crazy because the, the last few episodes have been Houston, Houston, Houston. But it sounds really? like Houston is, is kind of like Atlanta in a way. There's just like so much African-American African -American success there, which is absolutely Yeah. Yeah, so episode, episode 152, Chicago is kind of like that too. Philly's like that. You know, it's good things are happening these days. Um, Rashana Scott, Charles Oglesby, Austin has tied me in there. Episode 152, signing off. <laughs>